Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, this is Nadine Dietz, host of CMO Moves. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thanks so much for stopping by today and to give you a quick overview on what to expect. CMO Moves is all about game-changing leaders, their incredible journeys, the moves that they've made, and most importantly, their personal stories of how they got to be the leaders of some of the world's most exciting brands. I hope you'll enjoy their stories as much as I do and take away a few tips and some inspiration for your day. Enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to CMO Moves. Today is a big day. It is the 150th episode of CMO Moves. I'm so excited, I can't even sit still. Um, Three years of episodes. And I'm just so excited and delighted that you have chosen to join us for this special moment. This is the first time that we are broadcasting live and we have some phenomenal guests coming up here today. So for those of you who don't know me, I I am Nadine Dietz. I am the Chief Community Officer of Adweek and the host of CMO Moves. Um, I started this journey in January of 2018 and I have to say, I couldn't be more excited about everything that's happened since, including the wonderful team that I get to work with every day. And I want to thank them all right away for their hard work in putting together this very special episode. Uh, So thank you to the whole team. So amazing that we've almost covered $7 trillion in revenue represented by so many CMOs and CEOs and special guests over the years. And so for this special episode, I thought it would make sense to bring forward a key theme that has continuously surfaced for the past three years. And that theme is the business of marketing. And to understand the business of marketing, we need to dive deep into many interdependencies across the C-suite, including finance, technology, HR, the CEO perspective, and so much more. And that's what we're gonna focus on today, hearing from eight incredible leaders on different parts of the puzzle what they've done to rise to the very top in their fields. And I'll give you a hint, it isn't their actual marketing prowess that makes them a great CMO. In fact, as one of the guests coming up today has said, once you get to the CMO job, only 10% of it is actually marketing. 90% is leadership. So for those of you who can't see my screen right now, let me tell you who's coming up and then we're gonna jump right in with our first guest. So first up will be Alicia Tillman, who is the Global Chief Marketing Officer of SAP. And Alicia and I are gonna talk a little bit more about the business of marketing, and we have a special announcement for you as well. Next will be Antonio Lucio, 
who is the former global CMO of Facebook, uh, and also just announced this week, now currently on the board of Adweek. So we are very excited to welcome him to uh, welcome him as part of our board. Um, and we're going to be talking with him about inclusive leadership for true transformation. Following Marissa Thalberg, who is the chief brand and marketing officer of Lowe's Companies, will join us to talk about how to set up marketing for success. Following her will be Vineet Mira, who is the global chief marketing and now also global customer officer of Walgreens Boots Alliance. We're gonna be talking about unlocking the magic for unicorns to thrive. We'll tell you what that means when he comes on. Followed by, uh, following Vineet is Dara Tresita, who is the head of global marketing and communications of Peloton. We're gonna be talking about taking a portfolio approach to growth. And then comes Raja Rajmanar who is the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer and also the President of the Healthcare Division of MasterCard. We'll be talking about how to establish cross-functional teams for stability. But we're not done, we got two more. So after Raja is Linda Boff, the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer of GE and also the President of the GE Foundation. We're gonna be talking about how to create a cross-functional engine for global change. And we will fi uh, finish the day with Martin Renault, who is the CMO of Mondelez International, and we'll be talking about how to anchor purpose with humanity. So without further ado, let's get started because we have a big show, as you just heard. I'd like to welcome Alicia Tillman, the global CMO of SAP, to join me here and to help talk through the concept of the business of marketing a little bit more. So Alicia, hello, and welcome to CMO Moves. Hi, Nadine. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you today. I'm so happy to be here with you today because <laughs> um, this is a very big day, not only for CMO Moves, but for something that is very special to both of us that we get to announce. So are you ready? So shall we announce? I'm ready. <laughs> okay. Yes. So the business of marketing is not just the topic for today, but it is a brand new show we are launching together next year, starting in January where we will go much deeper on all of these topics and will involve a whole cast of characters to come and help us figure it out, like CEOs, CIOs, CTOs, CFOs, CHROs, and more. So Alicia, I know why you're excited about this, but why don't you share, what is it that really caused you to say, hey, let's do this, Nadine, let's get behind this. Well, I'm so excited and thank you for announcing this at the top of the show today. I mean, very simply put, and, and you and I have, have talked about this for so long now, marketing is a growth driver, period. Marketing is responsible and depended on for so much growth within all of our companies, no matter the size of our company, the industry we are in, where we are located, what stage of our growth journey we are in, marketing is in the center of it all. There's dependency on our function, not just from the CEO, but from the CIO, the CHRO, the CFO, the CRO. There is not a function in a company that is not depending on marketing to support their growth journey. And we spend so much time, I think, as a marketing community really working to explore that. And if we think about 2020 in particular, and I think it's fair to say that the dependency on marketing has grown even more. When we think about what this whole period 
has called for from brands. It has been about your purpose, your authenticity, the articulation of your value, value that is relevant during periods of crisis and when customers need you most and what your values are and, and how they manifest themselves in the very products and services that you deliver. And if you think about innovation and how you tell that story and how you tell that story of value, all of it is connected to growth and all of it is stemming from the function of the marketing organization within a company. And so that and for a million other reasons, um, when we think about the roles we hold in our companies is why I'm so excited to launch this with you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I couldn't agree with you more. We just did um, a second round of a survey uh, across our collaboration teams where we have about 90 CMOs participating, including yourself. And what we have discovered when we asked, has the role of marketing taken a step forward, a step back, or has it stayed the same? 84% of CMOs answered this week that they believe the role of marketing has elevated. So now's the time, right? And, and, and it couldn't be a better year for marketers to really step up and forward to prove once and for all how important marketing is as the critical growth driver, but also as the critical voice. And so, you know, you are a global CMO. You have a team of 1,700 marketers. That's a lot of marketers on one team. <laughs> uh, let's talk about your role and why you decided to take that on with SAP. Well, remember, though, I may have 1,700 marketers, but SAP has 100,000 employees. And of course, everybody believes they're a marketer. So we can't forget that. Um, but look, I, I've been in my role at SAP for uh, about three and a half years now. And there were two things that brought me to the role. Um, you know, number one, I think the technology industry and what technology enables for companies to achieve. I think it is, it is the backbone of not only success, but a lot of change and, and how we can enable change around things that people care about in society. I think technology has an incredible role to play in that. But I also saw a company in SAP that was founded nearly 50 years ago with a vision and purpose to help the world run better and improve people's lives and to do that through technology with a belief that um, in partnership with our customers, we can truly position technology to help inspire change across the environment, our economies, and society. And I wanted to be able to tell that story of how, in fact, with our over 500,000 global customers, we are, in fact, enabling that for them across whatever industry or whatever part of the world that they are um, part of. Every company has a purpose and a mission to do something um, for good and, and have it lead to, to really significant change. And I spent the first year really working to build that narrative for SAP, not only in terms of how does SAP help day-to-day -day operations, how does it help companies run at their best, but essentially if you help companies run at their best with technology, then they have an ability to achieve their higher aspirations. And so it's been a beautiful three and a half year journey of um, telling that story, helping to recognize our value. Our value is differentiated by that of our competitors and certainly value in terms of what is the most relevant to our customers and where do they depend on us and how do we continue to innovate for their success. And that's 
that's why. And that's a bit of what the journey has been like for the past three and a half years. No, I love that. And <clears throat> I remember um, hanging out with you in Orlando during the big Sapphire event. And it's amazing how many different ways you can light things up. So uh, I, I was truly impressed. And I, I want to I touch on one more thing before we bring Heidi on for the Q&A. You know, um, also part of that survey I mentioned was where folks are going to start applying a lot more resources in the next three to six months. And technology definitely top of the list. And I think what we all saw was this giant leapfrog for technology during the last year where things that were projected to come to be 10 years from now are now five years away. Um, things that were five years away are now three years away. And, and it's like a race right now. It's crazy. Um, so we're going to go deep on a few of those things a little bit later today, too. But tell me, what are some of the things that you're excited about right now? Wow. Well, there's no shortage of volume of things like everyone that we're working on. But a couple of immediate things come to mind. Um, Carly Kloss is uh, one of our brand ambassadors. She's been a, a great partner of SAP's now um, for the past couple of years. And we have a project underway with her um, and her code with Klossy organization, um, which is really why we, we looked at the partnership to begin with. Code with Klossy is, a, is an organization that's focused on bringing education to teenage girls who have an interest in pursuing a career in STEM. And Carly's vision for this organization really came from her own ambitions. And Carly, most known as a global supermodel, who then went and pursued education at NYU to uh, become a, a coder, a developer herself. And as she was doing that, she recognized how much work still needed to be done to, to bring more women into this profession. And, and so she created an incredible organization that we're proudly partnering with um, to really bring this necessary education to girls so that they can we can bring more female engineers to the world. And so we've got an amazingly exciting project underway with her um, to bring forward some technology for teenage girls that are most needed during this period working to deal with a lot of different things that they're focused on. And then the other thing I'll say, um, you know, many of you may know I launched uh, what I've called the Open Learning Collective late last year, and we just concluded our second event just a couple of days ago. And this is a, my vision for this um, together with um, Kellogg and Northwestern and their partners with me in it is to bring together a really small group of, of CMOs to just have open conversations, to, to talk about what's going on and where are we struggling? Where do we see opportunities? Where's their commonality between things that we're looking to solve so that we can learn um, from each other in a very casual, unstructured environment that is guided by academics as well. And that's where the partnership with Kellogg and Northwestern comes in. So just concluded the second one of that. So those are a couple of the, the fun things that I have going on right now. Oh, I love that. I love that. So excellent. Well, I am going to bring on my dear friend and colleague and partner in crime, Heidi Palermo, who has a couple of questions for you. Um, Heidi, over to you. Thank you, Nadine. And hi, Alicia. So great to have hi, you. Hi, Heidi. I want to ask you about growth. I have a big question. We hear this a lot. Um, thinking about growth in terms of 
you know, sometimes it's not always a part of a marketer's role formally, but we're all responsible for growth. So what advice, what's maybe one tip you can offer um, marketers today who are looking to kind of tie their role or their contributions more to the growth of the business? I think it's a great question. And I think it starts with um, brands really need to be connected to culture and they need to be connected to society. I think any growth, regardless of industry, starts with understanding what's going on outside of the walls of your company. This has been a dramatic year on many fronts. Um, and you know, we, we certainly don't need to, to go through all of them. We're all so familiar, but all of the um, happenings outside of our business absolutely have an effect on the growth of our business or the lack thereof. And consumers today want brands to be connected to things that they care about. And as marketers, I believe that it is the one function within a company that is best equipped to be able to listen and learn and help companies innovate and respond and take action as a result. Um, the more you're in touch with society, the more you're in touch with the needs of your consumers, the more you have an ability to influence your company. And that influence can lead to innovation. It can lead to action. And it ultimately is going to lead to growth. And that ultimately, I think, is an incredible role that marketers play and, and some things to think about when it comes to how to best connect what brands do and your role within that to how you can help enable growth for your companies. I love that. I think a lot of marketers would say they're connected to the culture and what's happening, but they probably wouldn't think that that is one of the key drivers for growth on the inside. So thank you for that tip. Um, and that is probably a topic we're going to cover on the business of marketing. So just another mention, please keep an eye out for the latest news. We're going to be launching this new show with SAP and Alicia coming in uh, Q1 of 2021. So keep an eye out for that. And Alicia, thank you so much for being here with us. Back awesome. Thanks for having me. Bye. Okay. Wow. What an exciting way to start the show. I'm so excited. And thank you, Heidi, for coming in with some questions. Um, I just dropped in the chat window that if anybody has questions for our speakers, please feel free to uh, drop them in the chat or there is a Q&A uh, button too. You'll find that at the bottom rail of your Zoom window. So, um, all right, let's keep moving. It is my great honor and pleasure to welcome a dear friend, a mentor, a champion, and he needs no further introduction, uh, Antonio Lucio. Hello and welcome back to CMO Moves. Hi Nadine, how are you? I'm fantastic, how are you? I'm great. Looking forward to talking to you this morning as always, always a pleasure. Absolutely. True pleasure indeed. I feel like we're kind of celebrating a birthday together because like you were like episode number three, like way back when. And so we did it. We're here and uh, you're back on CMO Moves. Well, uh, th thank you for that, Nadine. I, I, and I remember when, when you started and, and you and I talked at the time, you said, oh my God, the world doesn't need one more podcast, uh, <laughs> but I want, I want this to be special. And here we are, 150 uh, uh, CMO moves later uh, and, and going on stronger. So congratulations for that. Thank you so much. And you have been such a guiding light for so many of the conversations we've had on CMO moves. I think the entire industry recognizes the role that you've played, which has been 
uh, truly instrumental. And in particular, you know, you early on set a lot of great advice on the table for other CMOs. And going back to that first episode, you said then, I am a business person first, I am a marketing artisan second. Can you elaborate on that? Um, uh, yes, um, uh, I, I actually love the quote with which you started the podcast. When, when you are appointed to the CMO chair, you're appointed as a functional leader, but more importantly, you are appointed as a business leader for the company. And you are supposed to extend your influence beyond those things that you're responsible for. If on top of that, you add the fact that outside of the consumer goods world, the marketing function sometimes has a very clear and defined role, and sometimes it doesn't, it also boils down to the resp responsibility of the CMO to actually earn the business chair by his or her business acumen. So you earn the seat at the table by your business knowledge. You keep your seat at the table by your deep understanding of your customer. That's what you bring into the table. That's what keeps you in the chair. And then you transcend the chair by the magic of your storytelling, once you're able to agree on the business strategy, the marketing objective, and then the magic of the function, hopefully will help you transcend the role. I love that. And, and I remember back in that first episode that you were on, you know, you were the global CMO of HP at the time, and you did so much work around defining the vision, the mission for HP, which included also all in the employees across the globe. So I encourage people to go back and, and have a listen because there are so many good lessons there. I, I'm just I'm just chock full of lessons from you. So I want to move to the next one that, um, you know, I have listened to your farewell speech from brand week three months ago. So here three years ago, now three months ago. And I have listened to it so many times. I think a lot of people have had it on repeat. It, it was just absolutely mind blowing. I mean, everybody, there's so much advice you gave to everyone, but my favorite piece of advice, and it really um, has stayed with me, I think about it literally every day, was you mentioned it's important to lead not just from the front, but also from the middle and the back. Can you explain that to us again? Uh, yes. Um, uh, during a given day, uh, you you need to have a flexible leadership approach because the situations in which you're in um, actually change by, 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 by the person that you're facing or by the meeting that you're attending. In, in any real job, you are going to have three areas. Uh, areas that you control completely. You control the objective, you control the people, you control the budget. Those are the areas where you should lead from the front. It is what you say, how you say it, and it, it needs to be done because you're, you totally own the outcome of, of that particular task or project or strategy. Then there are parts in which, particularly when you move outside of the consumer good world, where once you earn the seat at the table, once you've established the credibility, people in the product office or engineering will want you to co-own the agenda with them. That's what I call it's leading from the middle, where you're sharing the objectives. When you are there to actually 
clearly define who's going to be doing what to whom, when do they interact, and how do you measure the overall impact of, of the effort, individually and collectively. And then the third part, which is the most interesting one, which is the one that the CMOs need to own, is the leading by influence, which is those areas in which you are only indirectly responsible for, but your voice, because you have the voice of the customer behind you, actually matters and it matters a lot. That is how you keep the relationship with the CEO, with the CFO, with the head of product or the business unit head, depending on the business that you're in. And that is actually at the end of the day, no matter what role you have in the organization. And by the way, some of the CEOs that came from the CMO chair um, uh, will tell you that at the end of the day, leading by influencing is what's going to determine your success as a business leader in the long term. Absolutely. Very, very good advice. And once you said those words out loud, CEOs who used to be CMOs, I'm going to predict that for your future, Antonio. Um, but uh, I do know that you... Um, uh, Nadine, I'm very happy working for you. I've been working for you for several years now. Now this relationship with Adwi just formalizes what it's been happening forever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. You're, I'm blushing over here. Um, okay. <laughs> Well, I, I am so delighted to be doing a lot more things with you um, because I have, and I meant it when I said it, you know, you have actually been my mentor for at least five years, if not seven. And uh, there, I don't take a step without asking your advice on something. And your advice has always been instrumental. You tell it to me like it is, which I appreciate. And sometimes you're like, Nadine, that's a stupid idea. I'm like, okay, we'll do that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, and I love that. Um, so thank you for, for being that for me through these years. Um, but you're about ready to do some really important work um, on top of the already important work you've done for the industry, particularly around diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, do you wanna share a little bit about what you're thinking about right now? Yeah, um, first, I've been focusing on ensuring that um, that the transition at Facebook worked well, and I've devoted a lot of time and effort to ensuring that Alex Schultz, who's a terrific individual, uh, and the team that I left behind is 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 going to be positioned for 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 success, and 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 they certainly they certainly are. Um, as I move into my my next phase, I I think that um, I need to use all the 40 years of experience that I've had in not just marketing, but in true business transformation to actually help um, companies and the industry to accelerate the business transformation through an eye on diversity and inclusion. There are uh, several areas that I want to get into. Um, one is uh, building capabilities, capabilities of diverse talents and capabilities uh, of the organizations um, in, uh, in uh, general. Um, uh, also uh, enhancing both mentoring and sponsorship. And there are two very different things. Mentor normally is someone from the outside and doesn't own your career. It's kind of an advisor, if you will. A sponsor is the person inside of the company that is pushing your um, your career uh, your career forward and then importantly creating a, a, a bigger community 
um, among the, the diverse talent for the next generation of leaders that, um, that, that we should have uh, uh, in the pipeline so that once and for all, you and I can get rid of that argument that the reason why the numbers are not better is because there are not enough candidates in the pipeline. I think that uh, in this next phase, um, I, I, I want to prove that, that concept wrong. I'm with you. I am right there with you and always. And I know Heidi has some questions she wanted to ask you. I just have one more quick one for you. Um, inclusive leadership. We talk about that all the time. How would you define that? It, inclusive leadership is, is, is an, the creation of an, an environment where everyone is contributing with the totality of their life experience as it is and an environment in which not only are those opinions valued, but encouraged and developed so that at the end of the day, the output, the business output is significantly enhanced. Mm -hmm. That is what this is all about. Uh, uh, and as you know, we still have a lot of, a long way to go, long, 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 long way to go. Um, uh, uh, and we just need to accelerate the pace because the playbooks are there, as you know, you've developed them. Uh, uh, the best practices are there. The, 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 the good, the bad, the ugly, and the extraordinary uh, is there. Uh, we just need to get going. And I, I just hope that as we embrace the need for growth following the pandemic, that we all acknowledge and commit to the fact that diverse teams will actually deliver a greater growth uh, agenda uh, as it has been demonstrated time and time again by every single study under the sun. Uh, so that's that's kind of what I want to do. Excellent. Well, Antonio, thank you for joining me. I know Heidi has a quick question for you. I'm going to bring her on and sure. um, I'll be seeing you very soon. We'll see you soon. Great seeing you, Nadine. Nice seeing you. Hi, Antonio. Hi, Heidi. How are you? I'm doing well. So glad to have you here. And I, uh, again, thank you so much for just your, your humble leadership and sharing your, um, your advice with, with this group today. So we have a question from Jessica Delgado, um, who is watching live, and she wants to know if you have a recommendation for some resources for um, leaders today or budding leaders to develop and deeper their business acumen. Um, anything you would recommend there? You know, the I am a firm believer in on-the-job training. That's how I learned. I, I was a history and philosophy major, major that came to Procter & Gamble, and I, I learned, yes, they do have great training programs, but that's like 20%, honestly, 20% of the effort. The rest of the time, you're learning, uh, you're learning by doing. The most important thing, it's not, it's not books, it's not uh, signing on, although that helps. The most important thing is for you to sit down with the business leaders in your, in, in your business, sit down, coffee, not coffee, get as much information as, as you can uh, from them. Uh, uh, spend time across the organizations from senior leaders all the way, all the way down and across all hierarchical ladders so that you're able to understand your business, the brand, the process, the culture, and the people. So to me, that's that's the, the best thing you can do. Not, not to reach out for a book, but to reach out to your workmates. They are the probably the best source of information that you're going to have uh, in order to increase your business acumen. 
Great advice. Um, and another question I have for you is around influence. Uh, you spoke a lot with Nadine just now about um, the power of influence, the importance of it. What would you say is a, a, a secret or secrets to actually driving effective influence? How does one do that? And, you know, we all hear we need to. What, what would you give for advice there? Normally, you build your influence by really understanding what needs to be done and by, and by being, so in other words, what are the real business objectives? What are the real areas of opportunities? What's important for the CEO or for the senior leadership team? And then ensuring that the things that you're working on are actually advancing that particular agenda. That every time that you are engaging, interacting, you are adding value to that agenda. And you are creating a bridge between what you do and what the business objective is, uh, is, is going to be. The issues normally happens when marketing begins to talk with its own language, its own lingo, has its own little toys and loves to be in, 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 in marketing uh, circles. The real influence happens when marketing is engaging with the business side understand the business objectives, can show value, and then hopefully can also show results. That's how you build your influence. You know, one, one meeting at a time, one, results at a, one result at a time. I love that. Well, there you have it. There are the secrets from Antonio Lucio. Um, thank you so much for being here. Really appreciate it. And we'll hand it back to you now, Nadine. Thank you, Nadine. Thank you, Heidi. Bye-bye. Thank you. thank you so much, Antonio. Wow, what a perfect way to lead up to this next fabulous guest who is going to be joining us is Marissa Thalberg, who is the chief brand and marketing officer of Lowe's and formerly also the chief global um, global chief brand officer of Taco Bell. And also, for those of you who don't know, many of you do, she is the founder of Executive Moms. And so Marissa, Hi, and welcome to the show. Hello, and I have two very important comments to make. Yes. Number one, my hair does not work with these virtual backgrounds. We <laughs> <laughs> talk about important things. And then number two, it was fabulous, but very unfair of you to have me follow Antonio because <laughs> he, you know, he, he inspires me so much. So I'll do my best in following him in the batting order, okay? Oh my gosh, you're so funny. That You know what? You're not alone in feeling that way because I remember at Brand Week during his farewell speech, Musa Tariq and um, Julian Duncan were supposed to go next and they were typing in the chat window, can we just call it a day and come back next year? <laughs> so <laughs> we were all laughing so hard. Um, but oh my goodness, it's so great to have you. And I think it's a perfect way to follow up because Antonio was just talking about influence and the role of marketing. And you really have demonstrated how to drive success for marketing. So we're gonna talk about how we how we set that up. Um, but let's start with just the clarification because you have a title that is Chief Brand and Marketing Officer. Can you just explain what that means to, to Lowe's? Because I think not everybody has a title like that. Some may have brand if they're chief marketing officers, some may not. So what is that? How do, uh, tell us about that. I, I mean, just to be real about it, I do think that there isn't consistent meaning in these titles in the industry. And so 
you know, I take it all with a grain of salt. But I do think that in crafting that title here, which um, interestingly, I, and I believe I'm accurate in saying this, I, I believe I'm the first executive vice president, chief brand and marketing officer that Lowe's has had. So it was uh, an amplification elevation of the role, which was obviously part of the excitement of it. And um, in talking about it with Marvin Ellison, our CEO and my boss, it was really this desire to, you know, bring together the idea of building the brand of Lowe's, but also understanding that equal to that is the remit of marketing the business. And I don't necessarily see those things as separate and discreet, but it was a bit purposeful to send a message that it's this job is going to be both. Wow. There you go. Yeah. That's really cool because at Taco Bell, you were chief brand officer. Did you also own marketing there, but it was called chief brand officer? I did. And that's why I mean, is like okay. I, in, in that corporation, which a part of Yum Brands, it had become like you were CMO and then you got promoted to chief brand officer. So, but it, I don't know that I felt it fundamentally changed my role. Um, that, that's why I'm saying it's, it's, it's a little bit situational. Um, <laughs> and I wouldn't necessarily suggest that what it means in one context is exactly the same as what it means in the other, but that was the decision-making with regards to how my title is crafted here. Super cool. So actually that goes to my next question because you know, often marketing and brand, frankly, are misunderstood by the C-suite. What have you, how have you approached that with your C-suite in sharing, you know, what you're working on and and really getting that camaraderie and, and that intersectionality really moving and flowing? Well, I think that um, as I reflect back on some of the tenures that I've had in my career, particularly jumping back a step in the years I spent at the Estee Lauder companies where I was sort of at the very emergence of digital and social media. And my job was really to be a, you know, a, a change agent and transform. And so you learn in, in a situation like that, you have to learn by doing like, how are you going to educate and also bring people along? And I think, um, in this role, it was very clear that that was going to be a big part of my remit was transform the marketing, but also transform marketing as a function within Lowe's. And so um, it is a kind of a continuing ongoing process. And you know what I likened it the other day to um, the process that you do in figuring out how to craft your message externally is it's not, it's not like this fixed moment. It's this constant figuring out how to nuance, change, adapt. And I realize that's exactly, you know, as, as experienced as you may be, you're coming in with a new set of colleagues, a new, in my case, a totally new industry context. And so you have to have this combination of the confidence in your expertise and the humility to know you have so much to learn and, and be willing to say, Hmm, maybe the way I positioned this my first go around didn't ring the bell. How about if I try it this way? And I feel that's actually very much the journey that I've been on internally in this past year. And inevitably you, 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 you hit some tripwires along the way, you hit some, some sensitive spots that you didn't even realize were sensitive. So I think it's really important not to paint it as linear or easy. Um, but so long as you keep kind of pointing forward and proceed with good intent, you know, with good intent to really be the right kind of partner as well as an emissary for the value 
that marketing really brings, particularly in organizations where it perhaps hasn't been as well understood as in brand, as in companies where brand and marketing might be really, really centric. Right. And, and I'm just curious because, you know, you and I and so many other of our friends have all chatted about things like credibility in the C-suite. And I think there's been, um, you know, a lot of people commenting on what skills CMOs really need to demonstrate to earn that credibility. We just talked a little bit about that with Antonio. You know, one that always comes up is advancing your financial acumen. So that actually we're going to go deep into that later in this episode. Yeah. But what are some of the skills that you think will help marketers if they can actually demonstrate them to earn that credibility in the C-suite? I, I mean, I wish I had like a really great one size fits all answer on this. Um, <laughs> but as someone who has moved across different industries, maybe more so than many, um, you know, I do think it helps to make sure you you plug in, you really plug in. I mean, in a sense, my past to this one and my previous tenure at Taco Bell are both really retail in a way. Restaurant business, we're in that you have stores, you have physical locations, you have, you know, thousands and thousands of people, in our case, hundreds of thousands of people working in those locations. So, you know, taking the time to see those environments in action, to talk to people, to be really collaborative. And I mean, for me also, like there's just a part of being really motivational because at the end of the day what I've experienced now in multiple points in my career is that oftentimes it's your front lines your your retail associates for example they're the ones that like they want to take more pride in the brand than almost anyone and when the marketing's humming you want to feel good about yourself go talk to the people in the store they love it it's more sometimes the internal conflict in the corporate level and in the C-suite because you have people who really know they've done certain things a certain way and how you, you know, you sort of take that Hippocratic oath of first trying to do no harm, not break anything, but also, you know, recognize that just doing the same way as we've always been done is not necessarily going to create a net new effect or an incremental effect on business, which we're all tasked to deliver in one way or another. Absolutely. Right. Uh, leapfrog on growth, uh, the mantra for everyone. Um, right. So Marissa, I am so excited you were able to take some time out of your busy day today to join us. I know Heidi has a couple questions for you. So I'm going to say thank you now and bring Heidi on to ask you a few of the questions. Well, we all adore you, Nadine. So thank you for having me and all of us on this. Thank you. <laughs> what a monumental moment we just shared on the 150th episode. Thank you. Oh, so much. No. Congratulations. Thank hi, you. hi, Heidi. Hi, Marissa. I'm so glad Nadine is letting me crash this party. This is amazing. <laughs> Um, so Marissa, I know we talked about your, your kind of nonlinear career path, which I very much enjoyed hearing about on your episode, which I dropped for everybody. It's in the chat window. Um, tell me, I, I'm curious about, you know, going from Estee Lauder to Taco Bell to Lowe's, how, how do you think about your next move and what advice can you give to people? Because I'm, I'm guessing it wasn't something where you knew where, what that next move would be, but how did you kind of prepare and think about what you wanted next out of your next move? Well, I gave myself the gift of a little bit of time and real energy in exploring what I wanted to do. And I knew I was ready for next chapter beyond Taco Bell. I accomplished really everything that I could have imagined I wanted to accomplish and the time was right. But, you know, I wasn't, 
I wasn't sure a lot of, and, and you hear a lot of voices. And sometimes when a lot of people are giving you advice, it's both a gift and a little bit of a curse in that you can get really, you know, confused by all these great voices in your ear. And some people saying, oh, you could do something small and start up. But, you know, at the end of the day, you sort of have to kind of find your own truth about what turns you on and where you think you could make the most value. And I think part of my my process was was figuring out that I really wanted to do another large company opportunity and see what I could do with it. And this this opportunity for me then became irresistible. Geography has always been my personal Achilles heel. So I never thought I was going to leave New York. And my family never thought we were going to never thought we were going to leave New York, but we moved to California for Taco Bell. And now here we are in Charlotte, North Carolina, moving in the middle of a pandemic. So in some ways, the personal challenge of change has been harder than the professional challenges of change. But some people might have that completely inverted. And so it's just sort of, first of all, trying to know yourself. And then secondly, um, seeing how that fits with what opportunities are out there. And then, um, and then really, I, I think the part about not, um, not ignoring if there are warning bells on culture and how you'll fit because you know, the only time I feel like I made a real mistake in my career path was when I was not listening to my gut. I was rationalized and intellectualized a career move, which in the end probably gave me some skills I was missing, but it was not the right personal fit for me. Perfect. That's great advice. Thank you. And I'm going to pull in a question from Jacob, uh, who was watching live. And Jacob made a comment that, you know, Lowe's is having, you you and Lowe's are having a quite a substantial year. And there's been quite a few accolades on marketer of the year. So what would you say has been your greatest accomplishment um, throughout this crazy year that is 2020? And then what's one thing that you're maybe looking forward to the most in 2021? Oh, goodness. Thank you for the question, Jacob. Uh, it's hard to say, but I guess um, you know, I walked into a situation where I knew enormous change was necessary. And I was in the role for no more than three or so weeks. Can you imagine when the pandemic really hit? And I think that in some ways, you know, you can say all the sort of tangible accomplishments of the work, but in some ways, I would say my greatest accomplishment was realizing that this was a leadership challenge, how to immerse myself in the business uh, in a new industry, in a new company, 3,000 miles away because we hadn't, we didn't move until August and figure out how to find the bright spots in the team and build a sense of camaraderie and get them to follow, like to come along when I was trying to really change everything and I mean, that the, the, the sense of team that I think has emerged through this, as well as feeling like earning trust with my colleagues and, and putting some real points on the board for Lois in terms of reputation and how we showed up. I think that um, if you roll that all together, that's what I would perhaps distill as the answer to your question. Thank awesome. you for it. Yeah, that's a great question, Jacob. Thank you, Marissa. And one last question. I'm gonna um, I'm gonna wrap with this question around executive moms. We can't go without. We're getting quite a few questions in the chat. I know we talked about it on your podcast with Nadine. Um, can you share a little bit about that? Perhaps a learning, um, your involvement today, and how others can get involved if they're interested. Yes, and I, you know, I have to be honest. I feel a little guilty because I so I started Executive Moms back in late 2002. 
So everyone rewind the clock for a second and you realize that was pre-digital. There was no social media yet. I had recently become a mom and I was in New York and I was just honestly hungering to find connection and community with people like myself. And I was shocked that I couldn't find it even in New York. Um, and enough people sort of goaded me on to start that suddenly I found myself uh, dubiously trying to solve my own new working mom issues by giving myself a second career and founding executive moms. And in some ways, and I don't say this boastfully, it was ahead of its time, which is a good and bad thing in that it was sort of content, community, curated content. No one was talking about that. It was just very instinctive. Um, and I ran it very actively, always on top of a corporate career. And of course, on top of becoming a mother then twice uh, for about 13 plus years. And it has sort of ebbed in terms of my ability to actively run it and as new offerings have been in the marketplace, but it's still a huge point of passion for me, given all I learned, all the research we did in those years to really advocate for what it is to be not a working mother, which feels a little downtrodden to me, but an executive and a mom and have the, that dichotomy like beautifully cohabitate. So, um, so I'm sorry to say, and I feel a little embarrassed to say, it's not really active. I mean, the website's still there and all the content is housed there. My Twitter is, is still executive moms from the early days. Um, but if anyone has any questions or, you know, and you want to turn to the website for content, feel free. Unfortunately, the community itself is a little dormant right now, but you can always tweet me and I'll, I'll try my best to reply. <laughs> I was going to say, you're always an executive mom, Marissa, whether it's That's active executive mom. Yeah, you, yes. you have great advice as far as yes. working moms. And I can only imagine that this year, that's just, it's just hit home so much more. So thank you so much for being for sure. here. Um, really you. good talking to you. And um, I'll hand it back to Nadine now. Thank you. Okay. Thank you so much. Awesome. Wow. Okay. Super cool. Um, thank you, Heidi. And thank you, Marissa. Next is a wonderful guest of mine who's been on CMO Moves already twice. He always brings deep insights across the board. And today we're gonna to be talking about unlocking the magic for unicorns to thrive. And I know from the very beginning of the intro, people are like, hmm, what does that mean? So without further ado, I'd like to welcome Vineet Mira to join me here. Vineet is the global chief marketing and chief customer officer for Walgreens Boots Alliance. Well, uh, Vineet, hi, and welcome back. Thanks, Nadine, and congratulations on this episode. It's uh, It's been great so far. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. Yeah, it's uh, I'm having fun. I feel like I'm in a high school reunion or something. This is so cool. Um, so <laughs> it does feel like that, but it's uh, I'm so glad you do this for the community. It means a lot to everyone. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. And I am so excited about what we're going to talk about today because, um, again, going back to the fact that marketing needs to continue to build credibility across the C suite, and there is so much intersectionality. There are two things really that we're going to go into unicorns and how to become BFFs with your CIO. Um, but before we do that, I just wanted to point out that in the last episode that you were on last year, you shared a really important framework for all called the five mantras of the modern CMO. And so I want to encourage folks to go back and have a listen to that because um, you want to just talk about it real quick, the framework, and then let's dive into unicorns and CIOs. Yeah, I mean, I mean, super quickly, and of course, you can listen. People can listen to the other episode, but you know, I think the modern CMO role has evolved so much over the last couple of years. You know, and we talked about the five mantras, which are unifying the C-suite behind the customer, being that voice of the customer in the C-suite, B 
becoming your company's growth hacker and really turning your function into a growth function, mm -hmm. connecting purpose with commerce, really important those two things come together, making everything personal with your customers. So that's all about data analytics and technology. And then the last one is all about cultivating this sort of well-rounded modern unicorn talent. And it sounds like we're gonna talk about the last couple of those in this, in this discussion. Well, we sure are. And in fact, before we even jump into that, you recently expanded your title. So you are, first of all, global chief marketing officer across the entire Walgreens Boots Alliance organization, but now you're also chief customer officer. What does that mean? Yeah, so, you know, I actually think in many ways, and I just listened to Marissa's great, uh, great discussion as well. In many ways, it's a recognition of the role of marketing, kind of traditionally called marketing, being elevated in the company. So I think a couple of things, I mean, it now includes things like going from sort of legacy marketing functions, like advertising, communications, things like that into full stack customer experience delivery. So I've now got responsibility for the e-commerce platforms, for all of our data architecture, our customer science function, um, a lot of our product management, our apps, you know, so uh, a lot of these things come together and then metrics start to change, right? I now talk about things like NPS scores and engagement scores rather than just brand affinity scores. So it's almost like a tech, tech job in a way, right? It's kind of morphing into experiences. And I think that's really where marketing's headed. It's hard to differentiate brands on communications. I think you got to differentiate brands on experiences now. And I think that's what the role is about. Experiences indeed. Oh my God. I remember when you were at Brand Week, not this last year, but the year before, you were just launching your drone delivery with like, woo, that's an experience. Um, I could use a drone delivery right now. Um, but we're, <laughs> we're going to talk about that in just a second. Um, let's, let's start with the unicorns because what you were just talking about and describing is so central to actually one of the collaboration teams that you're on uh, with a, a number of other CMOs talking about brand quote versus performance. And I think the dialogue in, has been really interesting because it's not one versus the other. If you have a brand and you're in marketing, everything needs to perform. It's how you reallocate your spend these days with things changing. And to do that, you have to kind of be a little bit of a unicorn. So what is a unicorn and how do we develop unicorns? Well, unicorn uh, talent is, are those ta is exactly what I said, is those folks in an organization that can take the entire customer journey whether it's very bottom of the funnel, direct response, or even lower into site conversion, all the way to the top and tell brilliant editorial stories about your brand. It's those few people in an organization that are dangerous enough across the entire modern marketing stack that can really be the person beside you as a CMO that can put the customer in the center, connect all those specialist functions and put that together. And the truth is, there's just not many people like that. And if I just sort of pause for a second with a couple of thoughts, I mean, think of what a modern marketing organization looks like today. I've kind of got six or seven groups that I organize around. I've got customer scientists who are experts in personalization at a one-to-one -one level. I've got brand editorial and design experts. So these are not just brand people, they're design thinkers that are also brand people. I've got content creators that think like magazine editors, right? Like publishers, because I think that's very much where things are moving to. So Nadine, you're welcome to join us anytime you want. <laughs> but, 
we, I hope Jeff's not listening right now, but I'm going to take you up on that. You're definitely a great uh, uh, content storyteller. We've got direct response and site conversion people. We've got marketing automation and tech people, customer engagement lifecycle, customer experience managers, which are almost like product managers, right? If you have an app as part of your experience ecosystem, that app needs to be managed very much. That's almost a product manager like job inside marketing. So if you think of the diversity of those skill sets and how I just pointed out a modern marketing organizational design setup, just think about how many people there actually are that can float across all of those areas and truly integrate the experience for the customer. And I'll share one data point. There's a really big sort of uh, company that we partner with um, around marketing training. And we ran an assessment across all of our organization. And we found that only 3% of our marketers are sort of spiky enough across all of these areas to be able to truly integrate the customer's experience across all of this. So in a nutshell, unicorn talent and cultivating that, which is our responsibility as an industry now, are those folks that know enough to be dangerous and you've got to manage their career paths in a way that by the time they get to the top and along their journey, they can really put all this together for customers and differentiate your brand across all of these elements. And uh, no more silos, no more direct response done over here and brand done over here. Mm -hmm. all integrated, all managed together. And that's the unicorn talent we got to cultivate or our industry is forever going to be in a state of separation and frankly, customers will suffer as a result. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So there's probably 15 hours of content we could cover on how to actually do that. But in fact, I just want to let people know we are building a playbook with you, the teams to be able, to be able to bring forward some plays from everyone so everyone can share in the learning here. Um, and that's going to be a very important playbook uh, to, to be developed. So thank you for always leading the way on this. Um, I, I want to make sure I get another topic squeezed in here because critical in all this is the ability for those teams to thrive. And part of that is the CIO relationship. And you happen to have a very strong CIO relationship. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. My CIO is like my digital soulmate, I call him. <laughs> Oh my gosh, I see a whole new show coming together. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about that relationship. How did how did it develop and like how are you leveraging that relationship to drive growth for Walgreens right now? Yeah, look, um that I just don't know how you can be a modern CMO in a in a sort of experience-driven company without having an absolutely um, you know, seamless relationship with your CIO. In our case, we have a wonderful CIO named Francesco Tinto, and him and I actually work very closely together. A couple of things that we do. I mean, small things, you know, relationships take work. Anyone of you that are in a relationship know that it takes work, whether that's a personal relationship or a work relationship. So we do things like coffee breaks. We go on walks around our campus. We, you know, even during the times of COVID, we've actually done virtual espresso breaks and we just sort of spend time with each other. The second thing that we do is we have a common set of metrics around the customer and not just around the, the IT side of it or the enabling side of it, but if the CIO and the CMO can get aligned on what matters to the customer and what metrics you're going to measure customer engagement, satisfaction, things like NPS, time spent on site, monthly logins, average users, things like that. If you can get aligned on that, the relationship becomes much easier. Because then it's not about sort of legacy enterprise IT implementation timelines. It all becomes about the customer. And so Francesco and I very much work together on those metrics. 
And then we show up together all the time. We're not doing separate reviews. So if we're doing a data architecture and sort of systems architecture review, we're doing that together in the same room. And we're both kind of bouncing questions off our collective teams in the same place. Mm -hmm. Or on the flip side, once products get built, a new app is launched, we're actually doing customer experience walkthroughs. So we very literally walk in the sh uh, shoes of our customer and click through the app, figure out how different experiences are happening, how easy it to make a purchase. And we're doing those together. So, I mean, there's a lot we could talk about here, but in a nutshell, common metrics, and then run both the IT sort of architecture side together mm -hmm. and run the experience side together. And you'll start to find that those two things connect and you set a role model and example for your organization to work from. Amazing. And just to put things in order of magnitude here, you know, what you're describing, it sounds so intimate and so collaborative, which is great, but you two are managing a $140 billion business. I mean, the magnitude on that, how many doors do you have? I just, uh, remind me. Yeah, it's, uh, well, it's 140 billion, it's 13,000 doors. It's in China, it's in UK, it's in Mexico, it's in the US. So it's not just one retailer, it's what makes it extremely difficult. It's mm -hmm. multiple retailers. We also have a CPG business, 13,000 doors. And so we have to do this four times over in many cases, because that's the nature of our organizational sort of impact on healthcare around the world. Amazing. Wow. Okay. We have a lot more to do together soon. I'm going to bring on Heidi. She has a couple questions for you. And then um, I'm going to say my goodbye right now. Thank you, Vineet, for joining me. And I'll see you again very soon. Thanks, Nadine. Great to see you. Hey, Heidi. Hey, Vineet. Nice to see you. Okay. See you. you can't talk about something like marketing unicorns and not expect the chat to be blowing up with questions about unicorns. So that's what we're going to start with. Um, it's almost a two-part question here. So Michelle Robin has asked, you know, your definition of unicorn talent seems to liken itself more to marketing generalists versus a specialist. Is this the way you think organizations are going to be moving towards um, versus going hiring people that go deep in one expertise? Well, you know, I, I actually think it's it's going to be both. You're always going to need specialists in all these areas I talked about, right? Like site conversion, direct response, which is performance marketing, editorial and storytelling. But we also have a, we also still need CMOs in the future, right? Mm -hmm. And so what we need to do is we need specialists, like there always has been in our industry. It's just that those specialisms are expanding and getting deeper. So we have more specialists required and they need to go much deeper into areas. But at the same time, at the VP level and up, you still need folks in our organizations that can sort of spread across and understand how to connect all of these specialists into one experience for the customer. So when I talk about unicorns, I'm talking about that top, those folks that want to have CMO aspirations mm -hmm. that have the highest potential in each of our organizations who we think can learn across the entire stack of a modern marketing kind of organization. And those are the people that we have to cultivate. Not everyone's gonna to wanna to be a CMO. Not everyone's gonna to wanna to rise to the very top of an organization. That's fine, we need all kinds. But for any of your folks listening or watching this today, um, we're absolutely going to need a group of folks that I call unicorns that are gonna to need to be dangerous enough across all of these specialisms. So it's not generalist, it's sort of dangerous in multi-specialist areas is the way I think about it, that eventually will rise up to the top of the organization because you're gonna to have to manage a full stack of marketers. You know, the other thing I'll share with you is a lot of this talent is not coming from traditional marketing 
organizations and um, kind of prestigious universities, right? Like we're now hiring marketers who are ex-product managers at tech companies. We're hiring marketers that were engineers. You know, we're hiring AI people that were sort of sitting in NASA at one time. I actually hired some from NASA once into a marketing organization. So I think we also have to open our minds as to where to bring in this talent and then cultivate them within our organization and move people across who we think have the potential to sit at the highest ranks of our industry uh, in the future. I love that. That's the future of work right there. Um, yeah. So and then a second part to that, Shweta Harit, who is a, a, a strong member of our community. Hi, Shweta. She asked, can you retrain yourself to be a unicorn? Say that's not naturally part of your DNA. Is it retrainable? Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I, I, I personally am learning all the time. Like, you know, I, I started to learn about site conversion maybe three or four years ago at, to the extent that I have it now. So I think learning and retraining, as you probably know, Heidi, is it's, it's a mindset. It's curiosity. It's agility. I call it learning agility. And if you've got just by asking that question, it tells me that, you know, there's an openness and a curiosity to learning. So there's no like magic to any of this stuff that I talked about, right? It's a desire to be open and curious, be humble enough and vulnerable enough to know that sometimes when you walk into a group of site conversion experts or direct response experts, you won't know a word about what they're talking about. And then frankly, for many of our talent, taking horizontal and sometimes downstep moves to learn a lot of these things, which will pay out over the next 10 years. I, I promise all of you that in 10 to 15 years, if CMOs don't know about a lot of these topics I'm talking about, it's gonna be hard to raise to that rank. And uh, so I think that curiosity and the willingness to take chances in your career and maybe one or two like specialist deep dive roles and we've done that for some people in our organization is gonna be critical. Perfect. Being a unicorn is a mindset, everybody. There you go. All right, Vinny, yeah. thank you so much for your time and your perspectives always. Um, it was a pleasure talking to you. And Nadine, I'll throw it back to you now. Thanks, Heidi. Okay, it looks like I'm talking to myself. I just, we need that flag. You're on mute, right? So I was on mute. So I was saying uh, to myself there on mute uh, that, wow, what a cool uh, first half of the show already. We've got four more incredible guests coming up. I'm going to keep rolling here because we are just uh, on fire with all this great advice. So I would like to please welcome Miss Dara Traceder to join me now. She is the lady with a million dollar smile and a giant bag of tips and also has had an incredible journey that I want to dig into because we're going to be talking about how to take a portfolio approach to growth. So um, with that, uh, Dara, are you there, my dear? There she is. Hi, Nadine. How are you? Oh, my goodness. Look at that. I always just light up when I see you. How are you? So good to see you. I've been looking forward to our little chit chat. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Well, you know, a warning to everybody out there, this chit chat is going to have a lot of really important tips in it uh, because you have so much perspective from so many different angles. I can't wait to jump in. Uh, but just so everybody knows, Dara is the head of global marketing and communications of Peloton. And um, we just had a masterclass with you, which was amazing. So thank you. Um, but when I first met Dara, you were the CMO of GE Business Innovations and GE Ventures. And you had a portfolio of 100 companies that you were working with. So you had some great advice then on what does growth look like from perspective of hundreds of companies. So love to talk to you about that a little bit. 
Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, I think that one of the things that is consistent across every company, and this doesn't matter whether you're a startup trying to disrupt a category or you're a large organization trying to reinvent yourself. I think the thing that was consistent across all of those companies was they had to figure out what phase are we in our trajectory? Are we trying to reinvent ourselves? Um, and, and are we trying to reintroduce ourselves almost to the market? Or are we trying to double down um, on who we are? And I think just having that clarity of understanding of what you're trying to do in the marketplace really provided that great North Star that the rest, the, that not only the marketers could rally around, but that they could pull their cross-functional part, partners to rally around. And so very often, you know, when I was having discussions with, you know, the, the CMOs of the companies or the CEOs and kind of talking with them, we were always coming back to, well, what's our number one? Right. You know, is this are we in the process of reinvention? And sometimes that even happened at a startup. You know, you could have started out making a technology that was supposed to do X. All of a sudden, what you find is really gaining traction is Y. And, and so you have to course correct. And that means you actually have to reintroduce yourself to the market. So I think really being clear on what stage are we in our journey can really be a powerful force for rallying the marketing team and cross-functional partners to drive growth. Yeah, absolutely. And in that first episode, and I encourage people to have a listen to it because uh, we talk about everything from managing businesses to managing you and the personal board of directors and, oh, it was such a great episode. Um, but you talked a lot about what makes success uh, or what does success look like between a CMO and a CEO? What are some of your tips around the, that relationship? So I think it's really important for the, you know, if you're leading marketing, um, it's really important that your CEO or your president, you know, that you're are aligned with what you're trying to do. And I think it starts out with very, at the very beginning, establishing what success look like. What's our definition of success? What are we trying to accomplish? And really making sure that you take the time up front to establish what that is, and also making sure that you take the time up front to be clear about what you need to get the job done. I think that you know many times uh, people don't want to have those conversations, or whether we forget to have the conversations, or, or we don't feel like we need to have the conversation. But the fact is, you have to have that conversation. You have to really understand what success means. And then you also have to be aligned on what you need to be able to do your job well and make sure that you have those things so that you can really succeed. And I think that what I've been blessed about in all the different roles I've been in is actually someone gave me this advice <laughs> before I took my very first CMO role at GE for the business innovations and GE ventures. And I had an amazing chat with my then boss, Sue Siegel is a phenomenal leader. And it kind of gave me the confidence so that I've carried that with me to all the other roles that I've been at, where I've been really 
clear and able to have those discussions up front. And then it, it enables me, not only does it enable me to do my job better, but it enables, because I'm a servant leader, the way I, I believe in leadership is creating an environment where my teams can shine and really bring out unlocking their potential to achieve greatness. And so what it does is not only does it create the right environment for me, but it allows me to create the right environment for my team. So it's sort of this important chain of reaction um, that I think is, is really critical, uh, especially as marketing evolves and changes, right? Boy, this year has tested us as marketers in terms of you know what we're how we're expected to respond, how quickly we're expected to to change, to be agile. So having that deep connection and partnership is so important. Yeah. Well, what great advice. And you know, you have always been ahead of the curve. I mean, you have always had some incredible jobs you know, whether it's Apple or GE, but then you went to Carbon, which is a really cool company, like in, and then you're at Peloton now, but take just a, a quick moment. Why did you go to Carbon? What did you see in that opportunity? So I, first of all, like, you know, I think I'm, uh, it was an amazing opportunity. Uh, I really love the people. <laughs> I had known Joe, the founder and CEO, the founder, he's now executive chairman, then he was CEO. And he was such a phenomenal leader. And so the chance to work with him in a, you know, was, was very exciting. But also I think it was the scope of what I was doing was evolving. I think, you know, it's really important as a leader to make sure that you're constantly building skill sets and you're constantly growing. And you know, in addition to the work that I was going to be doing around leading marketing and communications, I was also taking on inside sales. And I was, you know, I was sort of building out, you know, my um, capabilities and my strengths. And so it was great because not only the people were great, the technology was fascinating and deeply interesting to me. And then it was giving me an opportunity to continue to grow and expand in terms of, you know, my sphere of influence. Yeah. And speaking of expanding, let's go to Peloton, because now on top of everything else in your portfolio is a very important asset, uh, the community. And tell us a little bit about how you're thinking about the community and how it's part of your portfolio. So I think community is, is so important and so critical. And, you know, I work closely with our chief membership officer, who really is responsible for our subscription business, as well as the post-purchase experience. And so it's definitely a partnership, you know, and one of the things that I love about when we think about community um, at Peloton is that this is not just something we say, but it's something, it's really who we are. Right, we're always member forward. So we wouldn't be where we are today without our dedicated members. And so everything we do from how we design our bike to how we program our content to how we market is really optimized to create a better experience, not only for the members that exist today, but for our members to be, our upcoming members. And so one of the things that has been you know, really important um, as a marketer, and especially stepping into my new new role, uh, which I did in August, was really understanding, getting to know this community, getting to understand this community, and getting to figure out how do we continue to cultivate community. Mm -hmm. We are intentional about community at Peloton. You know, we're intentional about cultivating it, but we don't do it in a way that is sort of you know mechanical or forced. We learn. We see what's happening organically within our community. And then we figure out how can we step in to take this to the next level. If you think about what we just did 
you know, this holiday season, we have uh, a brother and sister within our community. And we saw a lot of siblings. They couldn't, they can't physically be together this holiday season because of the pandemic, but they're using the Peloton platform as a way to really stay connected. And we loved that insight of what, a, what a, you know, this is so powerful, right? That, that sort of, you know, typically around the holiday season, you get with your siblings, you know, even though you might be a parent right now, you slip into old roles. You know, it's such a wonderful time for family and connection. And so learning and seeing that from our community we were like, oh, this is such a wonderful thing to celebrate. And that kind of influenced the, the campaign and the advertising that we did around this holiday season was really to continue to share that spirit, that spirit of family, that spirit of community uh, and, and bringing it to life. So I think we think about community in a very uh, intentional way. How do we cultivate this? And how do we leverage this across all of the various touch points to make this an amazing experience, not only for our existing members, but our future members? Awesome. Well, Dara, you know, I could talk to you all day long, but I have another person here who wants to ask you a question. So I'm going to bring her on and I'm going to say thank you so much for being here. There's Heidi. And so Dara, I'm going to say my goodbyes now and over to you and Heidi. Thank you so much. So great to chat with you, Nadine. Nice to chat with you too. Hi, Dara. We meet Hi, again. Hi. Good to see you. <laughs> yeah, good to see you too. I have just one question for you. Um, this is something that is top of mind for our entire community. You started a new role in the middle of the pandemic, a big role at that. What advice do you have for other marketers or even those who are starting more senior level roles like CMOs at a time like this where you don't have the traditional in-person experience that you would um, normally? What advice can you offer? So what I would say is, you know, it's really important to focus first on relationship building. And, you know, I, I, I know for many of my, you know, you know, fellow colleagues who are leading marketing, when they come into new roles, we want to immediately put points on the board, right? You want to immediately jump in and, and just start showing and adding value. And while that is of utmost importance, the way to actually get that done is by first building relationships. And so what I, I did you know, in my first 100 days was really focus on investing in the people that I'll be working with, the people directly on my team, my cross-functional teammates, and really investing that time in getting to know them, getting to understand their perspective on the business, getting to understand where they felt marketing should be going um, and why. And so I think taking that time in the beginning to really focus on people and cultivating those relationships are really important. Another thing that I did that was actually really helpful, and this actually came to me from one of my, my teammates who, who supports me, uh, we were talking about how do I get to meet all the people, you know, so many different people within the organization, like it's a big team, I can't, you know, how will we get to do this? And we created, we created office hours. And this is just a time where if you want to chat with me, you can let, you know, let my teammate know, and we can get the office hours on the calendar. And this is just a time where this was actually incredibly useful for me, because without any sort of formal agenda, it was a great way to get to learn and meet people throughout the organization, right? I met from interns all the way to, to, to some of the most senior people, and just getting their perspective on where we are, where we should go, and why it matters. And spending that time just really connecting with folks gave me sort of different 
insights that complemented the insights I was learning as I was studying our consumer insights and strategy reports, right? It gave me deeper insights. I had a really good understanding of, of, of what was going on you know, within the company, as well as understanding what was going on in the market. The other thing that I also spent time doing was getting to know our, our members, right? Really spending time in our different community groups, getting to build relationships, getting to chat with them, understand what, you know, understand what makes them tick, what they care about, what they would like to see us do better. Uh, and just spending time immersing myself like a sponge, right, in, in these relationships may, has really helped me. And I believe it will be very helpful for anyone stepping into a new role. Perfect. Thank you, Julie. I hope that was helpful for your question. And Dara, thank you so much for taking the time to be here with us. I'll hand it back over to you now, Nadine. Thank you for having me, Heidi. Of course. Bye-bye. Uh, okay, thank you so much, Heidi and Dara. That was fabulous. And welcome, Mr. Raja Rajamanar. I am so excited to have Raja back. He's been on CMO Moves twice already. And every time we learn something incredible. Uh, so we're going to dive into a couple of those things today. But first of all, let me just say, Raja, hi, and thank you for being here. Thank you very much, Nadine. Obviously, I'm doing something right. You're calling me back again and again. <laughs> I feel very honored and thank you so very much for that. Much appreciated. Well, not only am I calling you back over and over again, but I have to give you a giant nod here because the new show that we announced at the beginning of this episode, The Business of Marketing, which is launching next year, actually that title was inspired by a case study I wrote on you once many years ago. And uh, that case study was all about your relationship with your CFO and how you co-created a new marketing finance team. And that was such an inc incredible story. That was the business of marketing. I wanna talk about that here because that's exactly what business marketing is all about, plus other relationships. And we're gonna talk about those other ones in just a moment. Um, so welcome back, let's dive in. So much goodness here. Tell us about that move that you made with your CFO. See, in fact, I know whichever marketing role I performed in different companies, I always sensed that there was a profound sense of suspicion in the CFO's mind as to how exactly marketers are spending their money. And marketers generally, they used to hide, you know, be sort of uh, a little behind jargon, a little behind those very complex fuzzy programs, et cetera, and sort of muddle the waters. And the CFOs used to be incredibly frustrated. And when I was managing businesses, that's exactly what was happening when my marketing folks were doing it to me. And I would say, guys, you don't pull that trick on me because <laughs> I have, I have post-graduated in that. So let's have transparency. So when I came into MasterCard, the culture was no different. I, and when there is a little bit of dubiousness about how marketing is spending their money and how prudent they are, how judicious they are, et cetera, I thought the best way to do it is to open the doors uh, and be completely transparent, number one. So the first thing I did, my first meeting after meeting the CEO was to go to my CFO. And at the time, uh, Martina was a CFO. And I said, Martina, uh, tell me, what do you get to see in marketing? What do you not get to see in marketing? What would you like to see in marketing? So she was very pleasantly surprised. And then I also sort of had already done my homework. I said, did you know that this is how we are managing these are the gaps that we have got. This is the fluff that we are doing that we will actually get rid of. These are the efficiencies we are looking. She says, I can't believe I'm having this conversation. And, and 
to follow that up, what I suggested to her was, look, I'm going to create a finance function within marketing. Because marketing is by far uh, the, I would say it's in the top three uh, expense heads for the company every year when you look at the P&L. So we have all the top three expenses. So I said, you need to have complete visibility and I need to have complete control. So why don't they get a CFO for marketing and a finance team embedded into that? And this CFO will report both to me and to you. It was beyond music to her ears. And uh, then we started it off. So since then, I have a full-fledged finance team that's sitting in marketing. They do ROI. So for example, when marketers are self-reporting ROI, there's a lot of credibility gap out there. It's like you know, uh, the fox guarding the hen house kind of a, a phenomenon. Whereas if you have finance people who are sitting in marketing and they are the ones who are doing the ROI, the numbers get instant credibility. And that's exactly what we have been doing since then. And uh, it has really become uh, to be a very successful model. And I keep strongly advocating that we as marketers have nothing to hide. We have to be transparent. We need to have enough confidence and knowledge to be able to justify the numbers of what we are spending, why we are spending and what we are getting in return. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Like that was it's such a good move and we can all learn so much from there. And there's a ton of that, um, a ton of more information on that in your first episode. Uh, I want to actually get to another topic. Not that I'm, uh, this, this one I could talk to you about for a million years, but let's go to another one because in your second episode, you had again, created another cross-functional team that you had the foresight to create two years before you actually really needed it. You want to talk about that? Sure. So what we do is typically every three to five years, we do a total strategy refresh. So we look at what the horizon sort of offers us or what's likely to come down the horizon. Are we prepared in terms of capabilities, uh, the infrastructure, the talent, and, and the entire thing end to end. So I just came back from a board meeting at the time. And as a company, most of the companies do it. They create a risk map, heat map for the company. So it's like plotted on a graph where you say, these are the probabilities that different risks will materialize. And if they do materialize, this is the extent of impact that the company is going to have. So I said, it'd be interesting actually to see how it would be in the context of marketing because marketing has a lot of uh, risks. So my CFO, she is uh, you know, a major thought partner for me in all these kind of crazy ideas. So I said, Ellen, let's sit and then actually think through what are the kinds of risks that marketing has got? When we started making that list, you know, <laughs> Holy God was like, you know, quite a few of them that we are dealing with. And other than for reputational risk, we don't have much of a process and infrastructure and training in place to jumpstart. So I told her, Ellen, would you mind actually heading this function? So move out of being my CFO and be my risk head, risk management head. So she said, yes, I will do it. She took on that role. And then she started very methodically putting all the building blocks in place. As to, for example, we got data privacy risk, we got compliance risk, we have got reputational risk, we got financial risk, we have brand disintermediation risk. So she made a whole list of risks that the company could potentially have. And then what is the likelihood that they will happen? What is the impact if it does happen that will uh, uh, have on the company? And what will be the remedial action either to avoid or mitigate the risk or should the risk happen what would be the contingency plan? And then put training programs in place as a result of it and train everybody else. Now, thank God we did it. While we did not anticipate COVID, we did anticipate an economic downturn. 
Now, this was a, a economic plus health plus whole bunch of things, but the impact that we feel most profoundly is the economic one. So we quickly moved into crisis management situation. We kicked the contingency plan. So without missing a beat, we could seamlessly cut over. And, and that was a big deal. And you know, everyone in the company was very happy about it. You know, in terms of where you had to tighten the belt, you knew exactly where to tighten the belt or what kind of processes that you need to do. What were the things that you could let go of? What were the things that you have to bring in? All of that really moved in so rapidly. It didn't feel that like we were going through a crisis when the crisis happened. So that's something which I would in fact strongly advocate to all the marketers. Think about your risk management. This is not the last crisis mm-hmm. and you know it's going to happen recurrently, some form of a crisis or the other. And the more prepared you are, the more all the building blocks you have in place, you'll be in such a good shape. Amazing. Okay, two really incredible cross-functional blueprints for all to follow. And uh, speaking of a blueprint and foresight, again, I believe, my friend, you just penned a book called Quantum Marketing, which will be published and released in the first week of February. Wow. You want to talk about what is quantum marketing? Very happy to. Thank you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so firstly, you know, if you look at the world of physics, Physics is the science which has been around for centuries to help make sense sort of how things around us work in the physical environment, the laws of gravity, the laws of electricity, magnetism, and so on. But when mankind discovered outer space or the subatomic particles inside the atoms or objects which are moving very fast in all those more current situations and realities, classical physics completely failed and a new form of physics had to be born called quantum physics. Now, I took inspiration from that and said, marketing is exactly the same situation. If you look at marketing, it has evolved over the uh, centuries, literally, it's not a new art or a science, it's been there since antiquity. Now, when we look at how much of change is happening, and I just categorized it into four different uh, eras or paradigms, and now we are at the verge of the fifth paradigm that we are entering. All the previous paradigms were triggered by two big technological changes. For example, paradigm three was because of internet and democratization of data analytics. Paradigm four was social media and mobile devices. Now in paradigm five, there is going to be a slew of technologies from artificial intelligence, augmented reality, virtual reality, internet of things. You've got more than two dozen of these which are coming, which will have an unprecedented disruption that marketing will actually undergo and current marketing will hopelessly fail in that new paradigm. You need a new way of doing marketing and that's what I call is quantum marketing. So quantum marketing is to marketing what quantum physics was to physics. So I'm very excited about this book. This has been like a passion for me, a labor of love. And uh, I did it, uh, one of the positive outcomes of COVID, if there could be any, was me able to focus time to write the book and I'm extremely excited uh, that I have been able to distill whatever little wisdom I have into this book simplified and demystified various concepts and made some kind of a playbook that marketers can readily use it. Uh, and uh, so far, I know I have shared the advanced uh, copies with some of my peers and some professors at Harvard and Yale and many CEOs. And I feel blessed that their feedback has been nothing but extraordinarily positive and very, very encouraging. So that's a book that's coming out on the 9th of February and it's already there. Uh, for pre-ordering on Amazon. So hopefully some of your viewers will go and order the book. <laughs> of course, of course. And I can I can assure people they're going to want to read it because 
I was privileged to get an early read. So uh, thank you for that. And I'm going to have you back um, for sure to talk about this new book. We're going to go deep into everything about it. Um, but for today, thank you for sharing what you're working on. I know Heidi has a question she wanted to ask you. We have questions coming in from the audience. So I'm going to say thank you, my friend. And I'm going to bow out for a moment Bye. and bring Heidi on. So thank you so thank much. Thank you. Always a pleasure being with you. Thank you. Thank you. Nadine and hi, Raja. Um, Hello. We have a couple questions from the audience. I'm going to ask this one from Vanessa, and she wants to know, um, how do you handle brand building um, with traditional marketing tactics that don't always have immediate ROI or results? Uh, this is the quintessential question, uh, which every marketer, I guess, faces, and therefore it's a very, very valid question. You know, there are now methodologies with which you are able to establish uh, discounted, many estimate the present value of future brand strength. You know, for many times what you do when you're estimating the lifetime value of a consumer, which is a very standard method that's prevalent across many of the industries, you actually say what during the lifetime of this particular customer, how much money will the company make? And if you discount it to present value, what is it? Right, and then you decide therefore, with the money I have, is this customer worth pursuing or not? In the same way, you can do exactly the same kind of things with your brand. What is, for every incremental whatever change that you want to accomplish on a particular brand attribute, because brand building is not a very generic, broad exercise. You want to build your brand on specific characteristics, specific values, and specific attributes, right? So on those, what do they mean? You need to have a clue and a clarity on what they will do to your business, even if it is down the line in the future discount it to the present. There are very credible methodologies uh, that we can actually rely on and then say, therefore, if I'm doing brand building exercise today, it is not fluffy. It is not just a waste of time. It is really valuable and this is why it is valuable. Uh, I, I would say that's how we would approach it because gone are the days where you go and tell the CFO and the CEO, say, hey, trust me, the brand is good. They say, well, how and why, show me. Okay, you cannot say just, you know, believe me, that doesn't work anymore. So there are methodologies already there. Are they absolutely perfect? No. They would be varying from industry to industry. For some industries, like for example in mine, where we capture data at a transaction level, every single transaction, every time somebody uses a card, we get to know that in an anonymized fashion, completely protecting the privacy of the consumer. But it enables me to understand what difference the brand is making. So six months back, if this is my brand strength, today this is my brand strength, and they move on different attributes, right, constantly. How is it impacting my business? Is it even having any effect? And how do I know that the effect is because of my brand and not something extraneous to my brand? So there are real solid methodologies and particularly with the enablement uh, done by AI, this is something which can be done very convincingly. Yeah, not definitely not an easy topic, but I thank you for that answer. Um, hopefully, Vanessa, that was helpful. And Raja, thank you. Always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, Nadine, I will hand it back to you. Thank you very much. Much appreciated, Heidi. Wow. Okay. Um, I have a lot of homework to do after that session. Uh, so thank you, uh, Raja and Heidi, again. And it is uh, now my great honor to welcome a dear friend of mine, the lady behind the start of it all, Miss Linda Boff, who is the Chief Marketing and Communications Officer at GE and the President of GE Foundation. Linda, hi, and welcome back to CMO Moves. It is so good to be here, and it's just a delight to be part of this 
50th episode show. I mean, I've had the chance to listen to the end of uh, Dara and, uh, and obviously what Raja had to say. And God, I feel like I learn every time I, uh, <laughs> I, I have the opportunity to, to listen to how you bring us together. So honor to be here. Oh my gosh. I, I am so honored. Okay. So there's so many reasons why, you know, first of all, I have to give a shout out to Kristen Lemkow because she once upon a time called you the Beyonce of marketing on Twitter. And uh, I agree with that. I think millions of people agree with that. So um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to have the Beyonce of marketing with me here today. Um, I will but, never, I will never disagree with Kristen. So I'll <laughs> I love it so much. Um, and you know what? I, I will say I have to, again, give you credit. I think a lot of people know this. You know, my husband had been bugging me uh, for years to do a podcast, but I hadn't really thought about it until you said to me, Nadine, have you thought about doing a podcast? And that's where CMO Moose was actually born. So thank you, Linda. It, it, it just is such an, you've said that to me publicly, you've said it privately. It's such an honor to have played even like the little bitsiest role in what you have taken like a rocket ship and made into something that we all love that's been so beneficial to our whole industry. And I, I really genuinely feel in this time of COVID has kind of kept us together as a community. So bravo, my dear. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And all your encouragement and support along the way has really helped me to shape uh, where we are today, which is talking about the business of marketing. Yeah. And um, my goodness, you know, when, when you were on, you were episode four and we called you um, your episode, the mastery of storytelling. And uh, quite the expert you are there, in fact, the master there. Um, but I want to talk about something a little bit different to start with. And then I want to dive yeah. into that um, because you have really just inspired so many CMOs around you with everything you've accomplished. And you lead a team already of 2000 marketers across the globe. And you have so many hats that you wear. I mean, you're not only chief marketing communications officer, you're the president of GE Foundation. You co-lead the GE Women's Network. You're also a new part of your role, which I think is a few years old now. You're leading uh, learning and culture for GE. I mean, how many hats do you have and how did you get all those hats? That's crazy. <laughs> probably probably too many on, on, on any given day. But, you know, I... Um, so a couple thoughts on this. I never set out to, to wear more than my CMO hat, which I love dearly and is still, you know, sort of the, the love of my life is, is this um, area that, that we all get to be in. I, I would say professionally, the second love of my life is, is GE. You know, it's a privilege to work here. Just about every morning, I kind of pinch myself and say, I'm lucky to be here. So, you know, I think one of the things as marketers um, that we are good at is many things, but one of them is um, uh, listening and paying attention to our customers. Mm -hmm. And in the, the GE world, we have many customers. We have our, the people who, who buy things from us, be it equipment or services or, or, or um, software. We have employees, we have stock owners. Um, and you know, I don't think it is such a big leap, at least it isn't to me, that some of the things that I now help to look after are our own employees and their development and training as they work to become 
even better leaders, more customer centric. Um, the foundation to me, Nadine, is, is just frankly a, a wonderful uh, way that we get to um, board, um, the right organizations in the communities where we live and work. In some ways, it's kind of the expansion of our brand and reputation, and, and that's what I'm paid to do. You know, I quoted Indra um, uh, 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 Nori before on uh, a, a, a call we were all on, or many of us were on in early COVID days, which is marketers are the, the soul of an organization. And I don't know, on a good day, it really feels that way, right? That we're kind of keepers of the flame, the Jiminy Crickets of marketing, so to speak. So, you know, these hats may look different. To me, they're, they're really just facets of, of one thing. And that is the, the reputation, the, the brand of our great company amongst audiences that matter internally and externally. So it's, it's always simpler to me than perhaps it seems to others. Well, it totally underscores too the whole intersectionality discussion we've been having through this whole episode about how marketing is the soul for so many things, but there's also a need to create great connectivities and relationships for it to really light up. Um, and you have been able to really communicate brands through this beautiful art of storytelling, which in your case is fueled by innovation given the heritage, Thomas and yeah. Edison. Um, so tell us a little bit about storytelling, what that means to you. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. Um, so I am blessed with a team and a set of agency partners who are ridiculously good at this. And who uh, I think, and this is kind of our mantra, sweat every touch point, sweat every asset. So it's not enough just to put up a post on Instagram or uh, tell a story in a video. It's how do we do it in a way that really is um, core to our DNA? And, and I think, Nadine, this is where maybe we were a little lucky, a little smart, I don't know what, which is years ago, we, were, um, we got very clear on our voice, on who we are, on what matters. We kind of, I don't know, embraced our inner geek or something and decided that we weren't going to chase coolness Else. We weren't going to try to be anybody else, but who we are, Thomas Edison's company, all these decades and decades later, you said it, we embrace innovation. Um, we also, I, I think, um, in every company feels this way to a degree, So, um, and I think it's important, but we have such impact on the world, right? We're part of the energy transition in renewables and in you know clean gas. We're part of the future of healthcare. We are um, um, take very seriously our role in the return to safe flight in the skies. Right. So these are things that fuel us, fuel everybody at GE every day. And honestly, it's kind of a privilege to get to tell those stories. They're endless. Mm -hmm. They're the stories of the technology and the people. And I think what the team has done particularly well is find deeply interesting ways to tell those stories. I was saying this on Gary Vaynerchuk's, you know, birthday Zoom or whatever it was a couple of weeks ago, which is we, I'm, I'm not big on, you know, sort of bragging about awards, but, but this one I'll, I'll mention because we won our first Can Lion for a six second Vine story. 
And I use that as an example, not because we won the award. It's really nice we won the award because the team worked so hard. It's because we were able to distill in six seconds the essence of our company through a little experiment that we invited people to do for us. So I, I think it's in some ways it's that simple. You know, we know who we are. We find we have interesting stories and we find interesting ways to tell those stories. And we have a fantastic team and we've had great partners along the way. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I really want to dive in deeper with you on what the future of storytelling will look like because those six seconds are the precious, maybe only six seconds you get of somebody's attention these days. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So we're going to come back. I'm, I'm definitely going to keep calling. Yeah. We should talk. We should, it's, it's such a great topic. I mean, I, I think, you know, you've had on the, 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 you know, um, <laughs> the stars of marketing in, in the last hour or so. And Marissa and the Lowe's team is just like lighting a fire up. It's just beautiful to watch. But I think it's kind of showing up in some ways as an interesting guest at a party, right? Not as some lumbering corporate entity that is trying to preach to you. But anyway, I agree. A topic for the future, a fun one. But definitely high priority. So we're going to come back and talk about that <laughs> because there's another competing topic that is also very important and near and dear to both of our hearts. <clears throat> and that is this concept around sustainability. And we've used the word sustainability for years now, yeah. but now's the time. We've got to make yep. this the focus for next year. How are you looking at sustainability at GE? Yeah, um, so sustainability and some of the things I mentioned before, energy, health, climate, um, diversity and inclusion are um, all topics that fit under the tent of sustainability. You know, I, I, I don't know if sustainability ever meant just ESG, but it certainly doesn't now. It's a bigger tent. And it is um, core to our purpose, right? We developed a, a, a way to talk about GE that feels right for today and the future. And that is this idea of we rise to the challenge of building a world that works. Mm -hmm. And that is to me as, as, as an invite, as inviting a way as possible to talk about sustainability, but it's got to go beyond talk. Right, so what are we doing? What are we measuring? What are the actions that we are taking to drive the right um, governance, the right integrity? Um, what, what's right for this world in terms of, as I say, energy, health, safe flight, et cetera. So those are the, the kinds of things we're, we're thinking about. We're working on a sustainability report, not, not that that is the be all and end all, but, but it's what I think it is, Nadine, frankly, is a moment where you take stock, right? Just take stock and say, what are we doing? Do we feel good about it? How are we measuring it? And um, I'm so heartened by the climate with a small C that we're all in where this is first and foremost on everybody's lips. And it is the discussion we're, we're having. I mean, I that brings me personally a, a lot of joy that um, um, that that tent is so large. Yeah, it sure is. And, and I'm, I'm, I would love, by the way, to read your report when you publish it. Oh, uh, trust me. I, I will, I will have a copy sent to you. Thank you. <laughs> I thank you. you get everybody's stuff first. You get Raj's book, you get the reports. You're, you're our inside gal. <laughs> inside the brand, right? Uh, so exactly, exactly. <laughs> exactly. 
Well, I would love to do that because also we are going to be launching a sustainability council next year. And That's we great. really feel strongly that this needs to be the center of conversation. And uh, so we applaud everything that you're doing. And, um, and for those of you who haven't looked at the UN sustainability goals, they're easy to, to look up. Yeah. It does include DEI and purpose and yeah. planet yeah. and products and people. It is a big tent, like you said. Yeah, P absolutely. Human capital, et cetera. I mean, Nadine, I just have to give you a shout out beyond the podcast, what you and the team at Adweek are doing in terms of convening conversations around critical topics and doing it in a way that is, you know, brings people earlier in their career together. Um, it, it's, it's terrific. And uh, I, I, I can't say enough about how much I admire your, how indefatigable you are on all of this. Um, it's, it's wonderful. Oh, thank you so much, Linda. Yeah, that means the world to me. And um, I am just so grateful that you could join us here today. I know Heidi has a question for you. And uh, so I want to bring her on. And again, thank you so much for being here. I'm going to say goodbye now, but I'm going to be calling you soon. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hi, Heidi. Hi. Okay. My question for you is all around, um, you know, this notion of working cross-functionally. And mm -hmm. I think the first thing that jumps up in my mind, and I'm sure others, everybody speaks different languages, very different yeah. languages, unique. And there's that, so there's that level of having to adapt how you're communicating without kind of changing your way of doing it. What tips do you have for marketers on how to do that effectively today? Yeah, maybe I'll give you two. Um, so um, you're absolutely right. I mean, most of my days are not spent with communicators and marketers. They're spent with our finance function, our, our legal function, risk, HR, et cetera. So, you know, to me, um, I, I guess I'd offer two things. One is the simplest, which is you have to speak the business of, uh, you have to speak the language of business, right? The business of marketing is, I think we've been talking about in various ways all morning. You, you can't go in with sort of fanciful terms and expect to have a serious conversation. So know your business, know finance, know how to have that conversation. What really is driving growth for the company or the, you know, the organization you're working for? No substitute there and no shortcuts. The second I would say, which is maybe a little more personal one, is I try to find common ground by elevating a conversation. Um, and I have two super simple questions that I will usually ask in the beginning of a dialogue, which is number one, what do we want people to know? And number two, what do we want people to feel? It is amazing how, Heidi, that helps to elevate the conversation because, you know, when we're trying to work through messaging, when we're trying to get on the same page, and this could apply to earnings or a product announcement or an org announcement or something from the foundation, you know, it's kind of the old head and heart, but it's a way of kind of bringing the conversation to what I find is the right level to start. And then you get to dig into all the the fun details so th those are a couple things that that i would offer and, I and one of your I yeah, love the bonus, your bonus one is oh, go ahead linda go ahead oh yeah no i was just going to say keep it simple right yeah. your partners they have knowledge you don't you have knowledge they don't mm -hmm. i was going to say i love that one of your questions is not what do we want them to do first and foremost is what do you want them to feel and that's yes. so much more important because that that yeah. just ties back to the importance of storytelling and what you've just done yeah. such a great job with well, thank, oh, you. thank you, Heidi. That was fantastic. Appreciate your time. And we'll, we'll see you next time. Back Such to a you. pleasure.
Thank you. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Thank you so much. I thank you, Heidi. Thank you, Linda. Okay, we are down to the last session, and this is going to be so exciting. So bear with us. We have a brand new guest to CMO Moves, who I'm delighted to welcome. It is Martin Renault. Did I say that correctly? Fantastic. Well done. Lovely. Well, <laughs> my mother would be. She proud rehearsed of you. quite a lot. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to make sure that I did. Um, my mother's nationality proud as well. So from Paris, you're calling us, or zooming in, I should say. And uh, Martin is the Chief Marketing Officer of Mondelez International. Martin, welcome. Thank you, Nadine. I'm so honored to be part of such an impressive group. Uh, and I was listening very carefully and uh, really, really honored. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Well, we are honored that you could join us. Um, and I am excited about what we're going to talk about, which is a perfect way to bring this episode to a close, uh, because there couldn't be a more important topic from 2020 than purpose and humanity. And, you know, I, you, you really opened my eyes to how one can actually anchor purpose with humanity when you're not in a category sometimes it's completely obvious is how it fits and with your recent status snacking report that you um just shared with the world so thank you for doing that you know you were able to really tune in to the consumer and and understand what the role of Mondelez was in this really challenging time do you want to talk about that yeah and and i don't know how much do uh, our audience uh, knows about mondelez international but mondelez is a is a snacking leader we have amazing brands across the world like oreo cadbury milka sour patch kids uh, tree squids and, and i could name so many more and uh, and uh, we have really a, a strategy which is to to grow uh, our our participation and business in snacking and to do that, understanding the consumer is obviously at the center of what we do. So we are obsessed by consumer centricity. And that's why the state of uh, snacking is about, is to understand the consumer uh, behaviors, uh, how do they interact with our products, et cetera. And uh, we, we do that now every year and we have extremely interesting results. Absolutely. And I think, you know, I was reading the, re the report and I love this phrase, which is um, that snacking has been a global antidote for loneliness and an avenue for connection during this challenging year. Yes. That's nice. a perfect statement. That's an, but that's really what's amazing about snacking and our brands in particular. Now, um, in the context of COVID, we, we have been lucky to see snacking growing uh, in home consumption. Um, and what was interesting is that people really uh, said us that it was much more than uh, a functional need, but there was a lot of emotional connection with our brand and with our products. And for marketers, that's absolutely fantastic, right? Yeah, absolutely. And when you think about, you know, as you, you, you're the global CMO, so many countries that you operate in, and you think about your mission, your purpose in creating this uh, opportunity for connectivity for consumers, and uh, the antidote for loneliness uh, connected to your purpose there. How do you as CMO look across the globe and think about how that translates to each of your teams and, and how does it serve as a filter for your actions? Yeah, so what I try to do really is to give to the teams across the world a global framework and, and, and 
kind of challenge them to go to the next level to do even better marketing each time. Uh, but at the end of the day, I am very convinced that the execution needs to be local. So uh, what we are really trying to do is to engage the teams locally to, to really uh, make the right choices, what are the brands that they should prioritize locally. And once they have done those choices, what great marketing they can do behind those brands. And within great marketing, definitely uh, understanding the purpose of their brands, which is the North Star of their strategy and how do they leverage it to really connect with the consumer in a powerful way. And um, we have amazing brands again, uh, and, and many of our brands have very strong purposes. And, and um, I don't know if you have seen some examples like Oreo recently, uh, yeah. it's all about a simple cookie you can play with, uh, which is really a way to connect between people. Um, and we have also done amazing things with chocolate brands like Cadbury, fighting, um, I mean, bringing our purpose of generosity to life and, and fighting against loneliness. Uh, so um, we are blessed with brands that have strong purpose and uh, we really put our creativity on a daily basis to, to bring it to life. Yes. Well, I'm going to come back and talk to you another day about one example that was brought up as a great example about brand purpose and the role in society, and that's the Rainbow Oreo. Um, so you got a lot of shout outs from our collaboration team on that. Um, it was really uh, I, I would love to. It's, it's a fantastic example. And it's important to say that Oreo has started this journey many years ago. So it, it's uh, really uh, anchored in the brand strategy since the very beginning. And I think when, when Oreo started, it was quite breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And then we have been able year after year to be consistent, understand better, uh, connect each time better with the LGBTQ community and, be, and staying very relevant. And, and both relevant for that community, but also very consistent with the brand purpose. So I would love to speak more about that for sure. Absolutely. We are, we are totally going to, we're going to do a whole play off of that. You and I are going to get together and, and talk about this play and the playbook that we're creating right now are for okay. grant purpose. So that's going to be an amazing example. And for those of you who don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. Um, and then uh, look actually, at Oreo yeah. proud parents campaign. There you go. Go ahead, Matan. Tell them how the, how do they learn more about it? <laughs> I mean, on YouTube, proud parents, Oreo. Just proud have parents, a look. There we go. Excellent. Cool. Okay. So um, we have a lot of ground to cover still. I'm going to ask you one more question and then I'm going to bring Heidi in because she's got a couple of questions for you too. Uh, so when you think about um, your team and just so that everybody's aware, I think people, you, you mentioned all your brands, but you have some brands that are global and you have some brands that are local and um, countless probably in your portfolio and countless countries. Um, how do you think about skills across your team? Like, do you have a global training center? Do you expect everybody to have the same level of skills? Are there, you know, how do you, how do you make sure that yeah. everybody on your team is, is powerful? Yeah, we, we work a lot on training for our teams and for me, it's extremely important to have a common vocabulary to, to go towards excellence. No, I, my, my motto is let's go from good to great. And, and we need to work around that with, with the teams and we need to speak the same language. So uh, we invest a lot in training our teams in one way of doing marketing at Mondelez. 
but obviously the work needs to be done um, locally by, by the teams now. So on certain global brands, we, we create a global framework, which is then the frame uh, to, to be adapted locally and really make sure we connect with the local consumers. On other brands, which we call our local jewels, it's really all the work done locally. Amazing. And and it's a it's a playbook that we are constantly evolving. Now, for me, uh, uh, we, it's important to be constantly uh, fine tuning it, improving it, uh, getting to the next level. So it's it's a continuous uh, improvement. And speaking about it and uh, identifying the zones where uh, we need to improve in the next month or year is, is really very important to to get to that excellence level. Great. Another thing for us to dive deep into. So we got a lot more to talk about. I'll, I'll, I'll be calling you a lot. Uh, so, uh, but until then, I'd like to bring in Heidi, who has a couple questions for you. And I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining us on this very special episode of CMO Moves. Merci, Nadine. Oui, je vous en prie. Merci à vous. Oh, I can't compete with the French. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, hi, Martin. So nice to have you here. I have a question for you that's very career focused. So. Mm. Looking back um, throughout your career, was there a move that you made or a certain role that you would say kind of best positioned you for growth that, you know, and got you to the role you are today? Mm, I, I wouldn't think it's one move. Um, I think what built me was many moves and I had the opportunity to really work uh, in many markets, emerging markets, developing mar developed markets. Uh, in, in units or companies that were growing very fast, very successful, in others that were very uh, in a very difficult situation or crisis mode. And I think that what has built me and, and brought me to where I am today is this uh, variety of, of, of experiences. So if I, I would have one tip to give to, to marketers that want to, to grow in marketing is um, eat different experiences. It has to be complementary. That's where you need, you, you, you learn the most. But if you force me to pick one, I, I think um, it's the one I grew the most was the toughest one, no? And it was uh, in 2000, 2001, I was in Argentina during a very strong um, uh, economical crisis, uh, as we know. And, um, and that was an amazing experience. And I learned so much because I had to put my toolbox, put it on the side and relearn everything. And I think uh, that's where I grew the most because it forced me to go out of my comfort zone. And, and that was an amazing uh, experience. And I still uh, uh, have very strong memories of that. And that's helps, helping me a lot. That's that's a really good reminder. I think sometimes when we're in the thick of it, the, the roles or the moves that seem like failures or something that isn't successful, you don't really attribute that to being something that you'll grow from the most later in your career. So I think that's a yeah. good reminder. But that's where you understand what is the most important, the, the ultimate important things. No? And, and uh, I strongly believe that you win when you are extremely simple and focus on a little number of things. And in a moment of crisis, that's even more important than ever. Wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing your thoughts with us today and look forward to talking to you more. Thank you, Heidi. Thanks, Take care. Everyone. Okay. And with that, Nadine, you're back. And yes, and you have been an amazing co-pilot through this whole episode so and through the last two two plus years. And I just wanted to say thank you to you. So I was surprised you're here, but also I wanted to say thank you to everybody who too did today. And I, I just really appreciate seeing your comments in the chat box. I know there were some questions that we weren't able to get to. We promise we will follow up. Um, and again, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for being here.
Heidi, any final words? No, thank you for letting me co-pilot with you. And yeah, this community rocks. I love man in the chat and seeing all the questions. And we're just, we're going to keep going on to uh, 2021 CMO moves and business and marketing. That sounds wonderful. Thank you. Everyone have a wonderful day. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, I would love your help in sharing CMO Moves with one of your friends or colleagues who you think might enjoy it too. And if you have time, I would really love your review or ratings on Apple or SoundCloud. So thanks again and have a great day. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.